School at the Chalet, Chapter 10, The Cinema Actresses It was a mercy, as Madge Bettany said, that for the next week or two everything went quite ordinarily. Grizel and Juliet gave the prefects no further trouble. Simone ceased for the moment to behave in a sentimental way. Amy Stevens gave up crying on the smallest provocation, and there was peace in the chalet school. The only event of any note was an accident Bernhilda had with the red ink. All the stationery was in one cupboard, the key of which Miss Maynard kept. Bernhilda had been appointed stationery prefect, and she went every Friday and gave out the new stationery as it was required. It was not a very heavy task as yet, since everyone had started with new books at the beginning of the term. Scribblers and little notebooks were what were mainly required. And Grizel Cochran, in her capacity as ink monitor, came on Monday for the week's supply. On the Monday following Simone's exploit, Grizel came as usual with her ink can. She found Bernhilda, who took her duties very seriously, engaged in tidying the top of the shelf of the cupboard. The prefect, sitting on the top of the step ladder, looked down at her junior. "'Oh, Grizel, will you please take the ink?' she said. "'I want to finish this before the bell rings. It is in the big jar at the bottom.' "'All right, Bernhilda. Don't you worry.' "'I'll get it all right,' replied Grizel cheerfully. Juliet had been absent on the Thursday and Friday of the previous week, and had not yet turned up, so Grizel was a much nicer girl in consequence. Having directed the junior's attention to the big ink jar, Bernhilda returned to her desk, while Grizel uncorked the jar and, carefully tilting it on one side, began to fill her can. Both were absorbed in their work. Grizel had very nearly finished when Bernhilda gave a sudden shriek and dived forward, nearly, nearly collapsing on to Grizel, who echoed her shriek. At that same time, there was a crash as the large pint bottle of red ink fell heavily against the stepladder and smashed, sending a fountain of red ink in every direction. Bernhilda's tunic suffered, but the one who came off worse was Grizel who had almost directly underneath it, and her dive forward, the prefect managed to catch the bottom portion of the bottle, and the rest fell clear of the junior. But the ink deluged her hair, frock, hands, and even her legs dripping with it. The combined shrieks of the two drew the staff hastily to the spot. Mademoiselle, under the impression that there had been a fearful accident, rushed forward with a cry of, "'Where, then, is the injury?' Miss Maynard and the headmistress, who had both realized almost at once what had occurred, were hard put to it to keep from laughing, although the latter promptly produced a handkerchief, and set to work to try to wipe off some of the ink. By this time Bernhilda had reached the ground, and was giving a somewhat incoherent account of what had occurred." According to her story, she had turned some books around sharply and had caught the ink bottle with a corner. She had tried to catch it, but had not been in time to prevent its breaking. The rest they could see for themselves. Grizel, who had not been actually hurt, was furious. "'I'm all ink, and my tunic is ruined,' she said in choked words. 
"'No, I don't think so,' replied Miss Bettany gravely. "'You must get out of it at once, of course. "'Marie must wash it immediately. "'Then I think it will be all right. "'Luckily, it's your cotton tunic, and you must go and get a bath. "'I'll come and wash your hair, and then you'll be all right by recreation. "'Don't look so distressed, Bernhilda. "'It was an accident, and you couldn't help it. "'But I advise you, for the future, to put all liquids on the floor of the cupboard.' When recreation came, a very clean and exceedingly indignant Griselle joined the others, secretly expecting to be well teased about her unexpected bath. Luckily for her, however, she found everyone buzzing with excitement over some news Juliet Cochran had brought that morning. It appeared that a certain well-known firm of film producers had decided to use the Tarnzee as part of a setting for a film called Life in the Austrian Troll. It was one of a series of educational films that they were doing, and since it was not, of course, always possible to get the natives of the country to pose for them, these six important people, together with the director, the cameraman, and the business manager, were making the Troll Hof their headquarters for the time being. They were going to use all the villages and hamlets round the lake as settings, and also some of the alms, where the cowherds lived during the summer in the wooded huts, while the cows browsed contentedly on the sweet short grass of the upland pastures. They intended to go beyond the lake, and following the course of the little tarn, take some of the hamlets and villages on its banks. Just why they should have hit on the Tarn Z was hard to say. Juliet was not occupied with this question. It was the whole idea which appealed to her, and she was full of it. They are going to the Zillhealth after this, she chattered eagerly, and Kafstein as well before they go south to the Dolmites. They've done Innsbruck and Stubalthel and round about here, and Mr. Aids, that's the cameraman, and they had some glorious close-ups of Hall and Sparts. He was awfully interested in us, and I think they mean to ask Miss Bettany to let them take us. Isn't that thrilling? Miss Bettany, however, when approached on the subject by the said Mr. Aids, and a Mr. Sindon, the business manager, refused to hear of it. She was icily courteous and absolutely decided. Nothing would induce her to reconsider the matter, and the two gentlemen left the chalet realizing that, as one of them later expressed it to Juliet, it was abso ing nix on the movie stunt. Most of the girls cared very little either one way or the other, but Juliet herself, Grizel, and one or two of the more thoughtless ones were bitterly disappointed. They had already, in imagination, seen themselves on the screen. People all over Europe and British Isles, at any rate, would know them, and know it was all spoiled by Miss Bettany's refusal. "'It's a shame,' cried Juliet, to a select gathering on the afternoon of the day, on which she learnt of her headmistress's decision. "'Why couldn't we be filmed? Big schools like Eton and Winchester are. But Miss Bettany always does that sort of thing. 
"'She's thoroughly narrow-minded.' "'No, she isn't,' returned Grizel, who had moments when she realized that her present behavior was anything but what Madge had the right to expect of her. "'It's different photographing boys at sports and doing us here by the lake. Oh, I can't tell you how, but it is.' And from this position she refused to budge. Juliet gave it up, for she was clever enough to realize that once Grizel had made up her mind to a thing, wild horses wouldn't move her. However, Anita Rincini, Sophie Hamill, and Suzanne Mercer were more easily swayed, and were soon persuaded into making, into thinking that they had a grievance against Miss Bettany. The manager of the movies also felt he had a grievance. He had foreseen a glorious advertisement in the school. It was, so far as he knew, an entirely new idea, and the girls looked so fresh and dainty in their uniforms, and the whole thing would have made an excellent foil to his continental scenes. "'If only I could get just one or two of you kids,' he said to Juliet. "'It would be an easy matter to rig up a classroom scenario, and we could get you schooling and swimming and so on.' These words gave Juliet an idea. "'Could you really do it?' she asked. "'If I got some of the girls together in our uniforms, could you really manage it?' "'Oh, sure. I could do it,' he said impatiently. "'Come to that. I suppose I could rig up something in the States when we get back.' "'But it wouldn't be the same scenario,' said Juliet earnestly. "'We could fake in near enough for the public,' he replied. "'But it would be better with the same backgrounds, wouldn't it?' "'Of course it would, but that school ma'am of yours won't even listen to the idea. "'So what's the good of talking about it?' he said irritably. "'Supposing I were to get two or three of the others to come, couldn't you take us?' queried Juliet. "'Mr. Seaton's face lit up at the idea. "'I could manage it, of course,' he said slowly. "'When could you arrange for it?' "'Because—' We are off next Friday, so it would have to be before then. Would Saturday do? Yes, that would do very well. Bring your uniforms and your swimming gear. Juliet tackled her four classmates by dint of flattery, coaxing, in the, in the case of Sophie Hamill, frankly bullying, got them to agree to join her. As she had expected, Grizel was the hardest of them to capture. She gave in when Juliet had alternately scolded and pleaded with her for nearly half an hour, and agreed to be at Geslam, at Little Hamlet, a mile and a half up the lake shore, on Saturday morning. It would be an easy matter for her to be there, for on Saturdays they were left very much to themselves, Madge Bettany having a theory that it was better to trust the girls than to watch them continually. They were not allowed to bathe or go boating unless a mistress was there, but otherwise no one interfered with them, and so far there had been no necessity for interference. Therefore, ten o'clock on Saturday morning found Grizel in the company with Juliet, scrambling along the narrow rocky path that leads from Brasso to Geslem. "'Aren't you thrilled?' 
demanded Juliet, as they stopped to rest in the great fan of the Alveol Rock, which marks the halfway between the two places. I am. I never acted for movies before. Grizel did not suppose Juliet had, and her conscience was beginning to wake up very thoroughly, which may have accounted for the vehemence with which she said, Oh, rather, awfully. Juliet shot a quick glance at her from her strange dark eyes, but she said nothing. Well, we'd better get going on. They went on their way, slowly and carefully, for at this part of the path it was not very wide, and went almost sheer down to the water, whose vivid blueness told how deep it was. At any other time Grizel would have enjoyed that scramble over the rock and the rapid run past the place where the mountain water dipped from a crag that overhung the path. She had enjoyed this very walk a score of times, but now she felt half angry and wholly unhappy, and I think that if it had not been for fear of Juliet's mocking tongue, she would have turned back even then. So absorbed was she in her uneasiness that she never noticed a broad-bottomed rowing boat with four people in it heading for Scholastica. Juliet, who at that moment it passed, was gathering a bunch of purple, scobius, and white moon daisies, did not notice it either. The occupants of the boat glanced up, attracted by the splash of brown against the green of the alm, which they had reached. Juliet, they passed over, but as Joey Bettany's eyes lingered on the other gem-frocked figure, she gave a gasp. Herr Munch, she cried, that's Grizel. Whatever is she doing there? Herr Munch turned a placid face towards the place, but the two girls had vanished behind a clump of trees, which protects the footpath from the lake at this point. So, he said politely, then that is why we could not find her when we came to fetch her, but it is wrong for her to be here. I'm sure my sister doesn't know about it, declared Joey. She thought Grizel must have gone to buy apples from the old woman at Seaspitz, cause she said so. Herr Munch's fair German-looking face became troubled. That is very wrong of Das Mönchen, he said gravely. Would you like us to land at Geslem and take her into the boat? Joey thought rapidly for a moment. They had never been told that they were not to go to Geslem by themselves, but she knew that Madge was always a little nervous about that path, especially the narrow bit of it. "'Yes, please. I think it would be better, if you don't mind.' Without a word, the good-natured Austrian turned the boat towards the little green triangle, with its big white gathsis, which forms Gassum. A group of people were standing there talking together. Joey recognized the cinema folk, but still she didn't guess what was up until Bernhilda cried, "'Why, there are Sophia and Anita!' How strange for so many of the chalet girls to meet here today. Then Joey understood. Oh, she said, her face pale no longer, but tanned by the hot sunshine, flamed with sudden anger. Oh, how can she, when Madge said not? How can she do what? 
asked Bernhilda, who was slow at grasping things. And of whom are you speaking, Joey? It's Griselle. Juliet's done it, of course. She's mad on them, replied Joey incoherently. Oh, Herr Munch, please stop them. Madge will be so angry, and it isn't fair when she said she wouldn't. Herr Munch was quicker than his daughter. With a final pull, he brought the boat nearly to the landing stage and sprang out. Stay here, he said curtly to the three girls with him, and then he strode off to the group. Mr. Siddon was considerably surprised when he found himself confronted by an angry giant of a man who requested to know, in very good English, if he intended taking photos that day. Something in the angry giant's voice warned him that he had better give an answer at once, and to the point, so he replied that he was. It was at this moment that Grizel and Juliet came upon them. Hermanch took not the slightest notice of the elder girl, but he turned to Grizel, and in tones which literally scared her, told her to go to the boat at once. With her he sent Anita and Sophie. Then he spoke to the paralyzed Mr. Sidon. I'm sorry, mine hair, if in taking these young ladies away I am causing you any inconvenience, but they are here without the knowledge or permission of their parents and their guardians. I wish you good day. And with this he turned and strode back to the boat, or Anita Rincini, who happened to be the daughter of his own great friend, had dissolved into tears. Sophie looked scared, and Grizel was beginning to recover sufficiently to feel furiously angry at having been treated in this summary fashion. But Herr Munch took no notice of her at all. "'How did you get here?' he asked the other two in their own language. Sophie pointed to the light rowing boat moored to the landing stage. "'We rowed across from Scholastica,' she explained. "'I see,' he said. "'Well, now you will row back with me.' Then he turned his attention to the English girl. "'You will come with us,' he said. "'Get into the boat.' Grizel gave him one look and obeyed. Sophie and Anita had already started. In a grim silence they pulled up the lake to Scholastica. Bernhilda and Frida were too much afraid of their father's anger to speak. At Scholastica, Herr Munch grimly marched them before him, first to the Rinchen's villa, and then to the hotel where the Ham Hamels were staying. While there, he rung up the chalet and told Madge that, as they had met Grizel, he was taking her with the others to Maria Kirch to see the famous church there, and they would all return in the afternoon. Then he went back to the girls, and sending Bernhilda and Joey on in front, took a hand, each of Frida and Grizel. It was not a pleasant expedition, and when they returned in the afternoon, Herr Munch had a long conversation with Miss Bettany, which ended in a more serious scolding for Grizel than she had ever known since she had left England. What hurt her more than anything was the knowledge that she was not to be trusted by herself at any rate for the present. As for Juliet, Captain Carrick had made arrangements only that morning for her to be a boarder for the remainder of the term, and he and his wife were going to Munich to visit some friends, and did not want to take her with them. Miss Bettany resolved to keep a watchful eye on the new boarder. Chapter 11 The Head's Birthday Party 
Joey, are you busy, or may I come and talk to you? Joey Bettany raised her head, with a start in the sound of the voice, looking down from her perch on the fence, which set off the alm of Brasso from the Gelsum path. She saw Gisla standing beside her, book in hand, a very serious expression on her charming face. Hello, Gisla. What's the trouble? she said cheerfully. It is this book, explained Gisla, tapping it. Will you come with me to the seat by the boat landing? I wish to discuss it with you. Rather, Joey slid down from her seat with great good will, and slipping her arm through Gisla's strolled along by her side. Look, she said suddenly, there's some new people from Crone Pince Carl, and they came last night. Father and mother and two girls and two boys with a grown-up girl. Don't they look jolly? Gisla glanced idly in the direction in which Joey was pointing. There her face suddenly changed, and her lips curved up in a smile of surprise and pleasure. Wanda! she cried. The elder girl, a slim fair person of about fifteen, turned around at the sound of her voice, and then uttered a little cry and ran towards them. Gisla! she exclaimed. The younger girl and a small boy of about seven looked up too, and in a minute they also were racing up to the little group. Gisela embraced them all, while Joey stood on one side, feeling rather in the way, but the Austrian had no idea of leaving her out. Wanda, Marie, Wolfham, this is my English friend, Joey Bettany. I am now at her sister's school in the large chalet over there. Joey, these are Wanda and Marie von Eckenu, and their brother Wolfram. I was at the school in Vienna with Wanda and Marie when we lived there. Joey had never been a shy person. She had traveled about too much for that. So now she came forward and shook hands easily. Hello, she said. Are these your holidays? The elder girl, whom Gisla had saluted as Wanda, smiled. But no, not holidays, she said, and her careful speech reminded Joey of the first few weeks at the chalet school. We have left our light, and we are resting here until Mama finds us one where we can be always. Ah, you call it boarding school, I remember. Oh, Wanda, cried Gisla, you must come to the chalet school. That would be very pleasant, said Wanda politely. Listen, I hear Mama calling. Goodbye, Fräulein Joey, and she hurried off, followed by the other two. What pretties, Gisla, said Joey enthusiastically. What did you say their names was? Von Eckenschu, replied Gisla. It would be very jolly if Wanda and Marie came to the chalet school, for they are nice girls. Gisla was, at that moment, much more engrossed in the book which she had been reading than in the arrival of her old friends, and as soon as they were comfortably established, on one of the white seats by the landing stage, she began her discussion at once. "'Papa bought me this book two days ago,' she said, exhibiting to Joey's interested eyes a girl's school story with a brightly colored paper jacket. "'Denise of the Fourth read the English girl. Who's it by? Muriel Bernadine Brown. Never heard of her. What's it like? I found it interesting in parts, replied Gisla, 
though some of it seems to be impossible, but there are descriptions of two things which interest me very much, and I was wondering if we also could not have them. The two things are a magazine. First, in the school of this story, the girl had a most interesting magazine. It gives examples from it. See? And she rapidly found the place and gave it to Joey, who skimmed through the chapter with a widening grin on her face. It is amusing, queried the head girl. You find it funny? It's a shriek, pronounced the critic, but it's rather an idea. We ought to have a magazine. The only trial is it will be so frightfully difficult to decide what language it will be in. But of course it will be in English, said Gisla. We are an English school. It would be rather fun, mused Joey, who'd be editor. You, I suppose. Gisla shook her head. Oh, no, she said earnestly. I do not know enough about it. Perhaps Miss Maynard would do it. She might, but it ought really to be a girl. Well, go on. What's the other scheme you like so awfully? The head's birthday, replied Gisla, turning over more pages. See, Joey, in this they have a dance, and they give the head beautiful presents, and had a splendid time. Joey grinned. I've never heard of a school where the girls gave the head a slender gold chain on which was hung an exquisite pendant studded with diamonds. The most we ever rose to at the high was a really decent reading lamp. But the holiday stunt is all right, and so is the dance. Madge's birthday does come this term, as it happens. I vote we ask her for a holiday anyhow. But she must also have a gift, protested Gisla, and flowers as well. What day is it, Joey, soon? It's July the 4th, replied Joey, next Thursday. It would be a ripping scheme to go for an expedition somewhere, wouldn't it? Tell you what, we might go up the Mondenschenspitz and have a picnic there, and then come down and have the dance in the evening. Oh, glorious! And the gift? persisted the head girl. We all admire and love Miss Bentney so much, we would wish to give her something. Oh, well, that's for you to decide, returned Joey. But of course we will. You will want to give your own souvenir. We want, uh, we won't ask you to join unless you wish it, but I know the others will. What would Miss Bentney like? Oh, any old thing. She'd like whatever you give her. The flowers will be easy, persuaded Gisla thoughtfully. We have a garden. Bed has a garden. Anita and Giovanna have a garden. And so has Gertrude. We shall have roses, lilies, and all kinds of flowers. Let's go and ask the others, proposed Joey. It's nearly time for prep anyhow. And you'll have to ask my sister for the holiday, you know. And you'll have to give whatever you do decide to give her. Gisla colored faintly. She was rather inclined to be shy. In Dents of the Fourth, Mervyn, it's the head girl, asked them to cheer the headmistress, she said. I should have to do that, too. Of course. What do you think? Here's Gertrude and Grizel coming. Let's tell them now, shall we? Don't you think it would be better if we waited till everyone was together, suggested Gisla diffidently. And should I not ask the prefect first? 
Yes, I suppose you should, conceded Joey reluctantly. All right, you go and call a prefect's meeting, and I'll go and see what Simone is up to. I haven't seen her since Mettingenson. Joey skipped off, leaving Giselle to follow at a more stately rate, as befitted a head girl. Simone greeted her friend with mournful eyes. I look for you everywhere, Joey, she said reproachfully. "'Well, I was reading on the fence,' responded Joey briskly. "'Then Giselle came to talk to me about a new book she was reading. "'Oh, Simone, do you remember those people "'who came to the Crown Prince Carl last night by the last boat? "'We've just met them, and they're friends of Giselle's. "'Come from Vienna, and they're here for a while. "'You remember the two pretty girls like fairy princesses? "'Their names are Wanda and Marie, "'and Gisela wants them to come to the chalet school.' "'What's the matter?' "'Staring in undisguised amazement at Simone, "'who looked as if she were about to burst into tears. "'Aren't you well?' "'Oh, Joey,' said Simone pathetically, "'dropping into her own language in her agitation. "'Oh, Joey, don't have any more friends. "'Please, Joey, don't. "'You've got Grizel and, Gis and Gisla and Bet, "'and I've only got you, "'and now you want those two new girls.' "'that you don't know at all. "'Oh, Joey, don't be so selfish.' "'Joey stood stock still in her amazement. "'Selfish?' she repeated. "'Selfish? "'It's you who are selfish. "'I've told you over and over again "'that I'm going to have all the friends I want, "'and it doesn't make one scrap of difference "'to my being pally with you. "'I don't mind your having other friends. "'I don't see why you don't.' Margia would chum with you if you gave her half a chance, and she's a jolly nice kid. It's no use looking like that, Simone. It doesn't make one scrap of difference. If I like Wanda and Marie, I'm going to like them. And if they do come to the chalet, and we want to be pally, I shall be. Then she relented somewhat at the look of misery in Simone's great dark eyes, and slipped an arm round her shoulders, giving her a gentle little shake. Do buck up, Simone, and be be a man. You'd be twice as jolly if you only would. Look here. There's five minutes before the bell goes. I forgot my watch is fast, and there's just time to tell you what Gisla was talking about. Come along, and let's go sit by the boat slip, and I'll tell you about it. It's awfully thrilling. But although Simone allowed herself to be drawn towards the little wooden landing stage, Beside the chalet, the dumb wretchedness of her expression did not relax, and all the time that Joey was enlarging on Gisela's topping idea, she sat without making the slightest effort at cheering up. Finally, even happy-go-lucky Joe Bettany gave up in despair. What could you do with a girl who refused to be interested in birthday parties and sat looking like a chunk of solid misery? Joey was thankful when the bell went and she was able to go off to her own form room, where there were plenty of people interested in all she had to say about the newcomers at the Crone Prince Carl. It would be splendid for the school if they did come, said Anita Rincini. I have heard Papa talk of Herr von Eckendu. They are very well born. What a silly reason, said Grizel, crushingly. The real question is... Will they be all right in school? Are they good at games, for instance? They will not know cricket, laughed Sophie, 
Coming to the rescue, for Anita was too much squashed by Grizel's remark to say anything. You will have to teach them that, Grizel. Two more, perhaps, for your team. For Grizel, who was keen on cricket and had been a shining light of the junior eleven at her last school, had been appointed cricket captain and was proving a very capable coach. Perhaps one reason for her success was that the other girls were all so keen on being English. An English school that they took their criticism and sarcasm in good part and really tried to learn the game. As for the juniors, they spend most of their free time in fielding practice. The game's mistress at the high had been very interested on necessity for smart fielding, and Grizel, quite a good, steady bat, had nevertheless excelled in bowling, which naturally made her more determined to have good fielding than if it had been the other way round. They had tennis, too, for most of the girls played it quite well, and Gisla and Gertrude were exceptionally good. However, there could be no doubt about it. Cricket was the most popular game. Now, in answer to Sophie's remark, Grizel spoke quite graciously. We shan't be playing cricket next term. I don't quite know what we shall play. Do you, Joey? Not unearthly, returned Joey promptly. I should think it'd be hockey, though. My sister was awfully good at it when she was at school. But isn't there heaps of snow here in the winter? Oh, yes, said Anita readily. The lake is frozen, too, and there is much skating. Girls, why are you talking, said Gertrude's voice. At the moment, you ought to be working. Sit down, please. They went to their seats while Gertrude, who had come to take preparation, arranged her books to her liking on the mistress's table. Then there was silence while they got on with their preparation in cool, quiet room. As soon as the bell for tea went, Joey literally pitched her books into her locker, fled along the passage to find Gisla. She wanted to know what Madge had said about the birthday party. However, she had to possess her soul in patience, for the head girl was in the prefect's room. Luckily, those great people had decided to make all arrangements as soon as possible, and when their own tea which they were allowed to have by themselves, was over, they came down to the Spesenel, where the others were, and Gisla, blushing furiously, murmured a request to Miss Menard, who was taking tea. Miss Menard nodded and got up at once. Yes, certainly, Gisla. We have just finished, so I will say grace and then leave them to you. She said grace and then went out of the room. "'Will you all please sit down?' said Gisla, when the door was shut. They all sat down. Joey squeezed her hands together in her excitement, for, of course, this must mean that Madge had agreed, and they would be able to go up to the Modenschenspitz, which she had been longing to do ever since Herr Munch had told them about it. Gisla was quite brief. She explained to them about the English custom of celebrating the head's birthday, and told them that she— and the prefects had thought it would be a good plan to celebrate Miss Bettany's. Miss Bettany had no objection to their having the holiday, and subject to the weather being fine, she agreed to their making an expedition. If it was wet, they would have the party in the chalet. 
Miss Bettany had been very good to us, went on Gisla, and I think you would all like to join to give her some souvenir of the first term of the chalet school, would you not? So, any who wish, it may bring contributions to Betrancini or myself to-morrow, and on the Saturday we will go to the Innsbruck and purchase something, and on Thursday will those of you who can please bring flowers, and come early so that we may also give her a bouquet. Then she ceased speaking and waited, but the burst of enthusiasm which answered her told her that the idea was most popular, and, as Joey said later on, that was that.'